So since the kids are with us this morning in the sermon, rather than going through one entire chapter like we have been doing pretty much through this whole series, I thought it'd be a great time to go through three chapters this morning. So now before you get too nervous, uh, kids, the, chapter 15 only has eight verses. So um, um, fifth, chapters 15 and 16, we see the last of the judgments. We've, we will see seven plagues in 15, and then there's seven bowls of wrath in chapter 16. Chapter 17 begins a new section in Revelation, where basically we see this contrast. So from 17 to the end, you're going to see this contrast between um, basically two women or two cities. These women are likened to cities or communities. Um, and so let's turn our attention to God's eternal word this morning. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed." After this, I looked, and the sanctuary of the tent of witness in heaven was open, and out of the sanctuary came the seven angels with the seven plagues, clothed in pure, bright linen, with golden sashes around their chests. And one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of wrath of God, who lives forever and ever, and the sanctuary was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power." And no one could enter the sanctuary until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. So the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they Cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. 
People gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three unclean spirits like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assemble them at the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes, and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven. 
and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power. But they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind. And they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb. And the lamb will conquer them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the water that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beasts will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over the royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Let's pray. Lord, as we read your word this morning, there's a lot here that um, can be confusing. Uh, Lord, I pray that it would be comforting, that it would be encouraging to us to know that you are in control, uh, that you conquer. So everything that we bring in this morning that stresses us out, that we are anxious about, Lord, remind us this morning that you conquer. Help us to lean on you. Give us ears to hear from you this morning. Convict us of sin. Lord, lead us to repentance. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So, so this concludes this section on God's judgment in Revelation. This the section is the largest of the three major sections in Revelation. Uh, the section began all the way back in, um, in chapter 6, and it runs through chapter 16. Um, as a reminder, and one of the reasons I want to do three chapters instead of just doing 15 and maybe 16 today, um, is I want us to remember that, that these judgments, they're not like linear, um, like this chronologically laid out kind of judgments. Um, they're rather like think about them as like, like instead of like linear like this, like this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens, think more like this. Like these are all happening and these are different ways to explain what's going on. So these seven seals, trumpets, plagues, bowls, think of them as like parallels. Um, so chapters 15 and 16 contain another cycle of sevens. You have seven bowls, you have seven plagues. And over the last several chapters, um, John has presented us with a choice. Um, it's either to worship the beast or to worship God. That's kind of been the heart of these last several chapters. Like, you've got these choices here. There's this decision you have to make. And as we've seen the last couple weeks and even with this passage today, many choose death rather than giving God glory. In chapter 16, we see both sea and fresh water turn to blood. Um, as a result of those who shed blood, they're given blood back to drink, blood for blood. Um, verse 6 informs us that this is what they deserve. And so here we see in 15, 16 that God is a just God. 
It may seem harsh from our perspective, but God is right in his actions. He is just. Oftentimes we think, how could a loving God do something like this? We have to keep in mind that we all deserve God's wrath. Every single one of us. It's by his grace that we, do, that we are receiving mercy, kindness. So these seven bowls confirm that God's judgments are just. It's important for John to establish and celebrate for us um, the God, uh, God's justice, that God's kingdom is a kingdom of justice. See, human kingdoms don't function that way. Human kingdoms, even with the best intentions, typically will be built on injustice. But the kingdom of God is built on God being just. That's something that he's bound to. He has promised. He's always going to be just. And so in this last section of the book of Revelation, we're going to see this contrast between two kingdoms described as two cities. Both are likened to women, Babylon the prostitute, which we clearly see here in, in chapter 17. And then you'll begin to see Jerusalem, the bride, but you'll see that more so the next couple of weeks when we get to chapter 18 and 19. One commentator says that these two cities represent two communities, two sets of values, two futures. And the question John poses to us is, where do you belong? Are you seduced by the treasures of this earth? Or is your heart set on heavenly treasure? That's something we're, we're all posed with that question every day. What are you going to live for? You're living for the things of this world, or are you preparing your life for what's next? You feel at home with the world, or do you belong to the kingdom of the Lamb? That's kind of the contrast that we're, we've been seeing and will be played out more so. As we approach chapter 17 this morning, God has revealed the future to us. He's shown us what's coming. We don't have to be afraid this morning. He's given us symbols Sadly, not specifics, but it, these symbols help us to live for Jesus and the church, not for the world and for Satan. So chapter 17, if you're taking notes, it's usually divided into two parts. Verses 1 through 6, John sees this prostitute and the beast. Then 7 through 18, this angel explains the mystery. So let's walk through chapter 17 together. Looking first to this prostitute and the beast found in verses 1 through 6. So look down at um, chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the king of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. We've seen this pattern before. John's been carried to the wilderness before to see these visions. And here it says, he saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And the name on her forehead was 
written a name of mystery. Now, we've seen names on foreheads the past several weeks. The people of God had a name on their forehead. They were sealed. And then um, last couple of weeks, there's this, there's this number of the beast on foreheads. And now there's this woman with this written on her forehead. And it says here, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes in the earth's abomination. And I saw the woman drunk, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. In this section, John is informed by this angel that judgment was coming from this great prostitute. Remember, all these judgments being played out, sometimes they were through the beast, the, 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 the other entities that God is using to bring forth judgment. And here, you see, this is the great prostitute who's bringing about judgment. Now, you would think the title prostitute would be insulting enough, but here, the angel calls her the great prostitute. How unfortunate. The angel tells John two things about the great prostitute. We see this in verse 2. With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of those of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. See, rather than being faithful to God and giving him the glory that he so rightfully deserves, the kings of the earth have gone to the prostitute by pursuing their own glory, their own name, their own purposes, all while ignoring God's law, God's glory, God's purposes. It's all about them. That's part of the mark of those who live for this world and those who live for God is what are they chasing after? The purposes, the things of this world or the things of God? So John describes this, the woman in verse 4, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels. And pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual morality. This is deception. This is deception that we all give into when we chase after the world. The woman, she looks great here, right? She's got purple and scarlet adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. She was wealthy, got the attention of others, very attractive. But look how she's described just a few verses later in verse 16. Verse 16 says, They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. See, if you disregard God and live for the world, you may look nice for a little while, but it will not last The world does not offer you things that last. Only God is trustworthy. Only God can provide lasting and satisfying pleasures. I mean, think about this. Here's this prostitute. When a man goes to a prostitute, he's looking for pleasure that will never fulfill or satisfy him. Even that relationship that he's this attribute of relationship he's looking for, it's just, it's not going to satisfy him. What's crazy to think about is how the world tries to purchase from the world what God offers for free. You chase after all these things of the world, spend all this time and energy, and God's saying, I, I would love to give you joy, satisfaction, love, relationship. It's for free. 
So many people are looking for security. But they're trying to find security in a prostitute. You cannot find security in a prostitute. John is saying, do not drink from this cup. This golden cup, it's full of abominations and impurities, and it will ruin your life. Some of you, you kind of have that story. You lived that life for a while. You went down that road chasing after things, and at some point, you just hit bottom. It's like, I can't live that way. I'm done with it. And you turn to God, and you know that God is the only thing that can satisfy those deep longings of your soul. Back in verse 5, we read, and on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Just a recap. When something is written on your forehead, it means that this is actually something that you treasure, something that you deeply value. What this shows us is that there wasn't just a a deep concern about the city of God or the things of God, but rather their concern was for the city of the world, Babylon. They were looking for things of this realm. Babylon, when you see that in Scripture, it, it's, it, especially in Revelation, it's, it's, it's meant to be like the capital city um, of Satan's realm. It's where he kind of hung out. Um, in this chapter, we see Babylon being personified as a woman. And she produces things that God hates. She teaches others to disregard the way um, she does, to be unfaithful to their rightful Lord the way she has, and to sell themselves the way she does. It's all about deception. Satan loves to hang things out in front of you, lure you, entice you, to get you distracted from the things of God. And all of this sounds good at first, but it just doesn't last. This first section ends with John saying that when he saw her, he marveled. The next section begins with John being questioned for marveling. Look down at verse 7. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. One of the frustrations that so many people have with the book of Revelation is most of the book just consists of what John had seen and heard, and then it's left up to the readers to discern, to figure out what John saw and heard. For example, I saw a beast coming out of the sea. Okay, now, John says that, I, what he saw, but for all of us, we're not there. We're, we're you know, we're reading, you know, his account of what he has seen. Um, and so we're left thinking, okay, great, John, you see this beast come out of the sea, but what does that mean? Like, what is that, what, what do we, what are we to do with that? There are a few places in Revelation, in this entire book, where things are interpreted for us. For example, like in, back in chapter one, Jesus tells us the meaning of the mystery of the stars and the lampstands. That's helpful when he says, the lampstands are. Or in chapter 7, one of the elders tells John who the 144,000 are. And then here in chapter 17, the angel says, I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. And he begins to tell us, and starting in verse 8, about this mystery. 
Now, call me selfish, but I wish he could have elaborated just a bit more. Let's see if you agree with me. Look down at verse 8. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. I want you to see it. There's already play. There's a play hero with words. Um, This is very crafty because just a chapter before, uh, John is highlighting Christ who was and is and is to come. Here now there's this beast that is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. So there's this contrast. This beast is not like Christ. Similar, but is not Christ. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life, so here's again this contrast, from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast, but it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. Yes, yes, it does call for this mind of wisdom, um, which I am begging that I have. Um, But I am not alone on the confusion of this passage. I mean, he he tells you, let me tell you. And then he tells us, and I'm still going, but I still have no clue what you're talking about. Um, One commentator referring to this passage says this, commentators are at a loss as to who exactly these symbols signify. I love when I read that. and I'm being serious. It's encouraging to me to see that brilliant men throughout centuries, they also have no idea what's going on here. Okay, I find comfort in that because I'm not a brilliant man and I have no idea. So when brilliant men go, ah, I'm at a loss. I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. Um, he goes on to say, but everyone agrees on how these symbols... Um, how these symbols function. These symbols represent the kingdom of the world that will be defeated and will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. So now let's look back to verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. I love um, that there are certain things in Scripture that God is bound to. So God cannot lie. The moment God lies, he stops being God. So scripture says God cannot lie. And so if God cannot lie and he makes these promises in scripture, then those scripture, those promises, we can hold to those. Those those things get us through hard days. And one here that helps me is James chapter one. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach. But let him ask in faith. So let's ask in faith for God to give us wisdom this morning. So here this angel gives John one interpretation of the beast's seven heads, that they are seven mountains. Okay, it says that. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. Okay, great. What does that mean? We know, thank you for telling us there's seven mountains. Um, This could identify the beast with the seven hills on which Rome was built. But again, commentaries will differ on this. That's just an option. Then we see the second interpretation of the seven heads found in verse 10 that that they are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. When he does come, he must remain only for a little while. Again, commentaries do not agree on how verse 10 should be interpreted. What does it mean? 
It may be that these seven kings in verse 10 are to be identified with the Caesars of Rome, but we cannot be certain about this. Then verse 11 continues to expand on the beast. Verse 11 says, As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seventh, and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, and they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they are handed over their power and authority to the beast. Verse 12, the angel tells John, the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet um, yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. So one hour, we know that means it's a short time that they'll have power. Um, some believe these ten kings will represent the beast and create a world power. We've talked about that last couple weeks. So the beast is a symbol of the wicked world of governments that refuse to honor Christ as king. In the last days, there will be this tenfold alliance of world power, but remember, it's only for a short period of time. Um, so even though Christians are going to face severe persecution, very hard days, what gets us through it is we know it's for a short time. Those um, kings, um, people of you know, uh, government officials, they're not going to reign forever. We know who reigns forever. We know that we conquer. We know that because of verse 14. Verse 14, we see the result of the, when this world power, it, when it goes down, we see what happens, that they will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for he is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. Those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages and the ten horns that you saw, they are the beast. Well, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purposes, or his, his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. So this war on the lamb is the great battle where the lamb will conquer. Now, we know the lamb has already conquered, but this is when it's all said and done. Why will he conquer? Well, it tells us because he is Lord of lords. He is king of kings. He has no rival. There are no comparisons. He is above all and over all. Every knee will bow to this king. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that's for us. That's why like, when you go through difficult times, when you face persecution, trials, those who are in Sudan today that are facing far more persecution than we are, this is why they can face suffering, physical suffering, because they know that Christ conquers, that people may harm the body, but they cannot harm the soul. And I love these qualifiers here in verse 14. It says, and those with him, this king of kings and lord of lords, those with him, they are called, chosen, 
and faithful. Those are awesome words for us this morning. Christians are called. I love that. We're called out of the world. So we're, we're not supposed to be like the world. We're different. We're called out of the world. We're set apart. But then he puts us back into the world because we have a mission, a purpose, to love our neighbors as ourselves, to treat others the way we want to be treated. You are called to live a life differently than the world. So you're called out. So you're called. God has called your name. He knows you. Have you responded to this calling? And we throw call, the word calling around different ways. Some, you know, you may hear like a call to ministry. Well, first, you are all called to ministry. If you are a follower of Christ, you have some type of ministry that you should be doing. There's a personal side of this calling. You have a personal ministry to carry out. But even before that, there's a, there's a calling where he's, he's bringing you to himself. He's drawing you. He's calling you. Have you answered that call first? That's the most significant call in your life, is he's calling you. Maybe you feel conviction in your life. Maybe you've never surrendered to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning because somebody's invited you, but you've, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe that friend is in your life because God is calling you. He's bringing you. He's drawing you to himself. Not only are you called as a Christian, but you are chosen. Now, some of you get freaked out by that term, but I pray that you treasure that word, that, that you marvel at it, that you embrace, that you are chosen. Being chosen is a beautiful thing. I pray that we never get over the fact that God has chosen us. So the, the NBA draft was this past week. Now, I don't, I'm going to say, show of hands, how many of you checked into the NBA draft? It's not going to be very many of you, but you all at least know what the NBA is. The draft was this week where they pick, the NBA teams pick college guys to be on their team or um, players from other countries. But the draft was this week. The Detroit Pistons had the first pick, and they picked a guy named Cade Cunningham. He's the first player chosen. Pretty prestigious honor to be the first player, just overall draft pick. Detroit Pistons, they didn't just go, you know, just, you know, what's a good, that name sounds great. Let me just pick him. That's not how it works. They spent a lot of months studying these guys. They probably had four or five guys that they narrowed down. And then they brought them through a series of workouts, interviews. I'm sure they made many phone calls to their colleges or friends, families, and just they wanted to find out who this guy was. Probably even went back to high schools and interviewed people. I mean, you're talking about millions of dollars being invested into this person. They're going to take time to figure out who they're going to pick. They evaluated Cade and thought that after all was said and done, after all these interviews, that that was the guy that's going to be the best pick to help us be a better team. So they chose Cade Cunningham. God has chosen us. He's chosen us to be a part of his family. But it was not because we're good at shooting a ball or dribbling or 
blocking shots or because of any other skill that we may bring to the table. It was simply because of the great love with which he loved us. That's why he chose us. May we never get over that truth. That God looked at you when you were dead in your sins. When you stank. And God said, that's exactly who I want to be a part of my family. You are who I want to use to reach the nations. And he gathers us together. And Christians have done amazing things over the centuries just by trusting the Lord's at work in us. Have you answered the call this morning? Jesus calls us to himself. But you have to respond to that calling. We've all responded in some way. Like, I remember 1998, for the first 20 years of my life, I didn't feel like God was calling me. I hated the things of God, didn't want any part of God. But in July of 1998, he began to call me in a way that I had never seen. I felt conviction of my sin. There was this weight about me. Some of you, you've, you know that weight. You just feel the weight of your sin, and you just have to confess. Is that you this morning? You just have to confess so that you're right with God. God may be talking to you right now. And I can remember sitting in a church on, in, in, in July of 1998 and, and, and feeling like God was telling me, like, you need to repent. You are lost. You are a sinner. If you die today, you're going to go to hell. And I remember just this heavy weight on me. And uh, the, the, the pastor did something that I didn't know you could do. He said, said I'm just going to pray. I want, and you guys have probably seen this. He just said, I want everybody to close their eyes, bow their heads. You've seen those kind of things. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there, and I'm just, I bow my head and close my eyes. And he just said, I just feel like there's somebody here that just needs, needs saved today. If, if you're just willing to pray, your, lift up your hand, I'll just pray over you. I'm like, well, everybody's, it's church. They're not going to lie. They're going to put their, they're going to close their eyes if he says close their eyes. So, so I, I'm, I'm like, I'll just put my hand up. So I put my hand up, and then he did something I didn't, was not expecting him to do. He, he called me out. He said, if you raise your hand, won't you come on up front? That, whoa, whoa, whoa. That, was not, that was not part of this at all. But at that point, I remember sitting there, I just felt such a weight where God was calling me to himself, I couldn't shake it. I just wanted to be done with that fight. And so I, I surrendered my life to Christ that day. And I just wonder, is you know, anybody here today, I'm not going to do the bow your head, close your eyes. I'm not going to trick you into surrendering to the Lord, but some of you right now, you may feel that weight where you just need to surrender and give your life to Christ. There's no better day than today to do that. I've not regretted any moment of that decision back in 98. God called me. I, I, I couldn't shake him. Um, he was after me because he chose me. So he wasn't going to let me shake him. So I surrendered, and man, it's been an incredible, incredible journey following him. This passage leaves us with a question. Who are you going to live for? Will you live for the beast and the prostitute? Which, 
may be pleasing for this short time. You may enjoy some moments along the way with Babylon. I'm telling you, it, it, it doesn't last. There's always a bottom. Will you live for the beast and the prostitute? Are you going to live for the lamb and his bride? What's going to be everlasting? Everlasting. 